morning. Hey, everybody. My name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you to Pleasant Valley in person or online, whatever works for you. We're super thankful. Um, we are in the Gospel of Luke. If you're just joining us or if you've been here uh, for a long time, just as a reminder, the book was written to somebody who wasn't so sure about all of this, wasn't so sure about Jesus, believed some things, was kind of in the game a little bit, but wanted to be certain. And so Luke said, let me do you a favor. Let me write it down. And so that's the book we are in this morning. Before we jump in, one, I want to tell you that if you did not listen last week, uh, Pastor Carl gave what I think is one of the best sermons on forgiveness I've ever heard. And I encourage you to jump in. And it also will let you know a little bit about how we do things around here. You've noticed we have a teaching team that is intentional. Uh, it isn't just to pick up something when I can't be here. Yes, I am uh, supposed to be up here most of the time, but I am doing what was not done for me when I was younger, which is recognize the gifts of God in these other people around me and give them an opportunity to use those gifts. And you may have noticed also that we're all different. Pastor Joe, James, Carl, Daniel, myself, whoever comes up here, we're different. And the great thing about that is that sometimes the way somebody teaches or the way they approach God's word may just crack open the safe of your heart. And that's intentional too. And so just, I want to encourage you as you see them, as they pour out their heart and teach, encourage them, send them a note, give them a pat on the back. It's a, it's a big thing getting up here. Um, but if you haven't listened, jump in. I also want to remind you too, if you're not in God's word every week, uh, the Bible in one year is the app. I'm still using it. Pastor Joe, I hear from a lot of you who are using it, bibleinoneyear.org. You can search on your app store, B-I-O-Y. Start today. It's a great thing to jump in. You're not behind. The Lord is right there waiting for you, ready to, to encourage you. And then the other thing I want to just remind you about, um, a couple months ago, we handed out some prayer cards, prayer initiatives with the big three. The big three are we want to stand firm on God's word this year. Amen. And we want to see gospel impact. We don't want to just sit on the truth and go, yeah, we got it. We're not telling anybody. We want gospel impact. We want actually our lives affecting people out there. And then we are also praying for supernatural provision that the Lord would help us get rid of the debt of this beautiful facility that we have. That card may have found its way into that space in your car. You know that space where French fries are? Um, right here, when you reach down, you're like, I can't quite get it. Um, or it's stuck in your Bible somewhere. Or maybe you don't have one. We can provide one for you. But will you pray with us? I'm trying, I want to grow in prayer. I want to believe. I was just up in my office before I came down here and I like to sometimes get on my knees and pray for you and pray that Jesus will meet you. And I was doing that. And so will you join us in praying for those big three this year? Um, today, Luke chapter 17, if you have a copy of God's word, um, if you need one, by the way, we've got a little stack of them back there. We'll also have it on the screen. But if you're needing a Bible, grab one of those during the service, take it home with you. You won't be accused of stealing, I promise. Um, you can have it. Luke 17, uh, today's message is titled, Not More Lepers! Because Jesus seems to keep doing things on repeat. And sometimes when I see a passage and it comes up, I'm like, didn't I just preach on lepers? Didn't I just preach on somebody who had leprosy and Jesus touched them? And so 
that was what came to my heart was, oh, again, Lord, we're doing this again. Can't you just heal all of them at once? So, you know, we don't have to go there again. Leprosy isn't just a disease of the skin. It can affect the heart. And the Lord wants us to hear that this morning. And I want you also to think about the relentless pursuit of Jesus on your life. He is so good. And I hope by the end of today, you can sense him running after you. So let me pray and ask the Lord to meet us. Lord Jesus, we are mindful today that uh, our ability to come in here and to listen to you and to have the opportunity to worship freely is a gift. We are celebrating that. We also don't want to forget, your word tells us, remember those who are in chains. There are churches today around the world who have to do this in secret. And some of them have chosen to do it, have been caught, and are sitting in a prison cell this morning. Some family members have a spouse or a child who has been lost because they said yes to worshiping you, to identifying as a Christian. So Lord, we want to remember those in chains. God, we want to remember those who are sick. Uh, Lord, this week, um, reading how uh, the new variant of COVID, Lord, is hitting the world hard. Uh, I read, Lord, that in Missouri, their hospitals are full again. And so God, we don't want to be cold. We don't want to say, well, glad it's not us. We want to have compassion, Lord. And would you bring resolution to this? pandemic. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. Um, meet us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 17, just one verse to get us started. Verse 11. I'm going to set the stage. Here we go. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along, this is Jesus, between Samaria and Galilee. On the way, he just happened to be passing along. Jesus is never random and is always intentional. He's also fully God and fully man, which means he felt hardship. He got tired. He got weary when he was here. I don't know if you knew this, but one of the distinguishing features of him when he returns is that he will have a body resurrected. That is part of the deal. He's not a floaty spirit. He has a body. He will return with that body. He felt what you face. Things had been growing increasingly difficult for him on the way to Jerusalem to do what? To die. This is his last trip. If you look the rest of Luke, it's fast. One thing after another leading to the crucifixion. He is on his way. He knows what happens when he gets there. How easy it would have been to run out of compassion to give up, to say, you know what? If there ever was a moment to run low, this is it. I'm on my way to die. I'm going to do this great thing for the world. Maybe I just need to sit back with my disciples, put my feet up and have a glass of iced tea. He doesn't do that though. He says, we're going here. And I think the disciples were like, uh, what? Just as he has an appointment with the cross in Jerusalem, you're going to see that he has an appointment with some people today. Last Tuesday, I was with someone who was serving me in a medical capacity. And the next day, 
they were standing face to face with Jesus. Whoa. Tuesday, I saw them, I spoke with them, kind, serving. The next morning, they're face to face with Jesus. Why? Because God keeps his appointments. We keep our appointments with him. He has an appointment with these people in between Samaria and Galilee, and he has an appointment with the cross. He could have gotten tired. He could have been given up a little bit. We do that. I do that. Years ago, there was a guy in Knoxville, Tennessee that I met. I used to go to Barnes and Noble. Um, Lisa and I used to go to Barnes and Noble for a date because they had the big cushy chairs. They always had a Starbucks. They let you read books. I don't know why they let you just, ha- they let you just take them and open magazines. You can just sit there, go through a whole magazine, not buy it. But yeah, that's fine. Just leave it on the table. Really? Okay. So we would go to Barnes and Noble and we would get our drinks. She got tea. I got coffee and we would go around and I'm like World War II books and magazines on this, whatever. And then we would go find our spots and we would sit in the big couches and the cushions. It's like, this is our date. This is what we can afford. <laughs> and so we're going to hang out. Let's do a Barnes date. And so we would go to Barnes and Noble. So sometimes during the week, I would go to Barnes and Noble and just read. I went one morning, I was sitting across from this guy and he's not reading. He's sitting there and I notice he's not dressed very well. He's dirty. And I'm kind of like, ah, kind of want to move. It's like ruining my whole Barnes and Noble thing. And he started talking to me. His name was Jerry. Jerry's homeless. He was looking for a place to hang out too during the day. And so I was moved with compassion for Jerry. I started pursuing Jerry and found out he actually lived in a tent behind Barnes and Noble. He showed me, showed me all his stuff. And I was like, man, I can, I can help. I can, the Lord is causing me to have compassion. I can have compassion and do something for Jerry. And so I had I was really into hiking and camping in the Smoky Mountains at that point. I had a minus 20 degree down sleeping bag. I had a uppity pad that you sleep on. I had all this cool cooking stove. And the Lord just said, give it to him. I was like, okay. So I brought it to him and didn't seem to be very grateful for it. Kind of bothered me. It's like, huh, okay. And I was like, well, I wonder last time Jerry had a good meal. And so I said, hey, let's go to Applebee's. Why not? Like you probably don't get to do Applebee's very often. Let's go to Applebee's. And so took him to Applebee's. And I, rem- and I remember he was kind of rude and didn't wait for the hostess to seat us. He just walked back there and sat down. And long story short, I grew thin on compassion for Jerry and became a little jaded to helping people. Jesus doesn't get that way. He doesn't run out of compassion. He stays with it even when they aren't responding the way we think they should. I imagine the disciples at this point had learned not to say, are you sure you want to go there? They they knew better, but they thought it. Imagine Jesus trying to stay focused when he can hear all the thoughts of the people around him. We shouldn't be going here. We shouldn't be doing this. And we might look at this, at Jesus showing compassion and even me, like with my experience with Jerry, Jesus has done some things since then 
and moved in my heart again to not be so jaded, not to throw out everything with helping people who are in need. Uh, even when I've gone to the people on the street corners and handed them something, like when they hold up the sign that says, we'll work for food. I'm like, hey, I actually have some work. And they're like, no way, man. I'm going to stay right here and get all the money I can. Oh, Jesus still doesn't run out of compassion. But we, so we look at him and we say, okay, I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to show compassion the way Jesus does. I need to go to the town, right? I just need to work harder and do better. It's a good thing, right? To want to be like Jesus, to serve like him, to look at his example and go, I should work harder. I should, if I work hard, then my heart and my emotions will follow, right? Wrong. Wrong. You may be familiar with a phrase or a little acronym, WWJD. Anybody know that one? What would Jesus do? It's so familiar that it has become almost a meme in the way people use it now. In fact, it has fake acronyms associated with it. Worldwide Joke Day, Warm Warm Jelly Donuts, Why Waste Jack Daniels? Yeah, and there's other ones that are worse than that. So other than being a lesson for us not to try to create a pithy saying for poorly describing the gospel, I think the question's off. I think it's off. Not that it's a bad thing that we want to look at Jesus and try to model him, but I think there's a question we should ask first, and it's this one. What did Jesus do? Not what would he do in this situation. What did he do that is going to provide something for me to still have compassion? What has he accomplished? When I look at the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return and consummation of the kingdom of God, what has been achieved apart from me? What did he do without me? Is the first question. I read an article this past week that says the real difference between sheep and goats. And if those two animals don't ring any bells, maybe the chapter where they are listed will. Matthew 25. Sometimes Jesus is like hammering me. Like it just feels like you want to, I'm going to get this in you, Chad. You're going to hear me. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, Matthew 25, Matthew 25. Okay, okay, okay. Stop it. Matthew 25 again, how do you know this, that I need to keep hearing this? And what is Matthew 25? It's the part where Jesus says, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. But the real difference between sheep and goats is not in what they do, but in their DNA. Sheep are going to sheep. Goats are going to goat. The way Carl told us last week, Christians forgive Sheep will do sheep things. They will grow wool. You can put wool on a goat. It's not nature, nat natural to them though. We will do things because we are a part of Jesus, because of what he has done. And so here is the deeper understanding and question I started to think about this. Why would we actually love and serve the least of these? Is it because we'd be like, I need to, I should, that's the right thing to do. The foreigners, the strangers, our neighbors, our enemies, the disenfranchised, the outcast. It's not because we say, well, Jesus did it. He's going to be looking for it. I better get to work. No, sheep will do what is in them. And so it's in me because of what Jesus did. His work becomes a part of me. This is so key to the gospel. The other way does not work. It's 
religious. It's religion. It's legalism. It doesn't work. While we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. Not because we finally got it together and started acting like sheep. While we were stuck in the outlying, despised, unattractive, I don't want to go there places, he came anyway. Jesus is a relentless pursuer of those who are lost. He's the hound of heaven as the psalmist wrote, where can I go from your spirit? As we keep reading, I want you to listen for footsteps near your heart, him coming after you. Verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. Earlier that morning, he noticed a tingling in his left hand and a slight discoloration in some of his fingers. Just two weeks before, he had the same thing happen in his right hand. He no longer felt like he'd hit him and he, he can't feel them now. It wasn't because it was healed. On the contrary, his right hand had grown a sickly gray and pale color. Some of his fingers had actually turned from gray to black. And if that wasn't enough, he wasn't allowed to see his wife and children anymore. He left weeks ago so that they wouldn't be made unclean by his disease. He lives with other lepers now. doesn't know any of them. They're like roommates in a sick ward waiting to die. What's the point of getting to know anyone? And besides this, he's a Samaritan. They hated him before he had leprosy. They hated him for what that made him. He notices a commotion on the other side of the leper colony this morning, which is unusual because everybody usually just sits around. They're waiting to die. Raise voices, movement, a group of people arguing, raising their voices. They're leaving. They're going to the village, which in his mind, he says, what? Nobody's allowed to do that. We're not allowed to go to the village. He decides to follow them. Jesus enters the village. He is met by 10 lepers. This guy is one of them. Here's a question. Would they have gone looking for Jesus if he hadn't come in the first place? Would they look for him if he hadn't come in the first place? I'm inclined to say no. They are there because he is there. If he doesn't come, they don't seek him out. His presence, his power compels them out of their dark cave-like existence. And you want to be asking that question, is he doing the same for me? So I ask another question. Why does anybody respond to Jesus? Why does anybody respond? What's the process? This is a huge question. It's one that's important for you to think about. Is it because it's logical? Because it makes sense? You weigh the options and you decide, sure, I'll go to Jesus. If this is the case, why don't more people respond? Why isn't it easier when we tell people just the right things about the gospel? Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and think they're going to go now? This is the greatest news ever. Why do people keep rejecting it? What has to happen in somebody's heart? What's typically going on under the surface is something much more complex, mysterious, and supernatural. So this should encourage you for your own heart, but also for people that you're hoping will know him. We like to think it's just A plus B equals C. A, facts about Jesus. B, my assessment of those facts. C, I follow or not. Simple, right? More likely it's this. A plus B equals C only because D, E, F, G, H, I, J, and K and the rest of the alphabet were already at play. 
This is our God. This is what he's doing. It is never simple. In our minds, we think, well, I made a decision to follow Jesus. I decided to be sorry for my sin. Wait, I decided to be sorry or I, I felt sorry. I had, I had this sense of guilt and conviction. I don't know if I did that. What? Man, was it the chicken or the egg? When it came to your faith in Jesus, here's a question. Was it chance or providence? Serendipity or sovereignty? Did these guys just happen to be at the right place at the right time? Does Jesus just happen to show up? Was I just lucky enough to be somewhere he happened to be going? A roll of the dice by chance or serendipity? How fortunate, how lucky, or is there a plan? This is a new way of thinking. And I think it's one that's so important for us as believers. The things we just faced this past year, if we don't look at them with God's sovereignty and his providence, we won't be acting or making decisions based on biblical principles or the gospel. We'll be doing some of the stuff we've seen this past year, which is ostracizing where nobody wants to be around anybody. So I want you to think about this with God's sovereignty, easy way to understand this word, God's sovereignty. Think of the word sovereign which is also related to a king, sovereign rule, God's sovereign rule, providence. Think of the word provide. God in his sovereign rule as king of the universe provides what we need when we need it to respond to him. There is no, I'll just figure it out on my own and hopefully you know, I'll decide, no, those lepers get up because they hear he's here. And the real question goes even deeper. Are they even getting up and thinking about it unless he's providing the grace and the power to do something? Look at these circumstances, this village, these people, and think about God's sovereign rule providing in his providence everything they need to respond Leprosy had severe social repercussions. When you found out you had it, it was like receiving a death sentence. You couldn't be around people anymore. Even if you had just a slight skin problem and they thought it was leprosy, you had to yell out to people. Most of you know this, you may have heard this, but you had to walk around and it, it's the Bible's version of the scarlet letter. And our current version of the scarlet letter, cancel culture, okay? No, look at you, you are so. And so they had to say, unclean, unclean. I'm staying back. You're canceled. It's Nathaniel Hawthorne's scarlet letter. Wear this. You can't be around people. You'll make them sick. You are so whatever. Think about life like this. Can they get a job? Nope. Can you get married? Nope. Can you stay with the one you're married? Nope. Friends? No. You reach a place where you just accept it. This is just how it is. I can't change this. The ship is going down. So when they stand near Jesus, it says they stood at a distance. They pulled back a little bit. We know who we are and we know what everybody thinks of us. Don't worry. We won't get you dirty by coming close. And yet... Something in them knew to try to get a little close. What was that something? Sovereign providence. God is stirring the pot. 
And again, I want you to be thinking, do you hear footsteps? Do you sense his movement in your own heart? Something inside of them said, this is your only chance. Take it. Take it. And so what do they do? Hey, Jesus, we're just wondering if uh, we could meet with you, talk through some logical things. Is that what they do? They lift their voices. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. What can a leper do for themselves? Hope for the best? No, they know they're going to die. They need a miracle. They need something to happen. It's a perfect example of our spiritual leprosy. We cannot do something about it on our own. We need his mercy. Jesus has initiated this interaction for sure. He came to the village, but the lepers have an opportunity. They have a choice. Stay where you are, stay ostracized, isolation, eventual death, or take a risk on the rabbi. Raise your voice, lift your voice. You can stay at a distance this morning. You can say nothing. You can numb the reality of your own spiritual sickness, but don't forget Spiritual leprosy is worse than physical leprosy. It will kill you for eternity. Now, it's easy just to think, okay, fine. I'm, that's an interesting take on the lepers. And, but I'm, I'm, I don't have spiritual leprosy anymore. I am cleansed. I know Jesus. I got compassion. I have more compassion than you, Chad. I wouldn't have even given up on Jerry. I would have hung in there. I have hung in there. I'm doing better. Think about who else is here in the story. And a lot of times if you see the questions that usually I'm putting at the end of the sermon stuff for you to reflect, one of them is for, I ask this, where are you in the story? Where are you standing? Standing back, you behind, kind of, you know, tucked behind Peter or something. Where are you in the story? The disciples, the crowds, they're listening. And they may be saying that. I don't have leprosy. I'm tired of this stuff. Jesus, can you just like, heal those guys. And can we like, you know, move along? Can we get out of here already? My skin is getting itchy. Aha, there it is. And don't you mean to say your soul is getting itchy? You're uncomfortable with this going to places that I don't want you to go. Do you think the lepers could tell when people gave them funny looks? Do you think they could, when they're in a thing and they're calling out unclean and they see a mom on the other side of the street who takes her kid and goes, pulls her to the side and maybe steers just a little bit? That same thing that we do sometimes where we drive up to an intersection and we're like, please stay green, please stay green, please stay green. Oh my gosh, it's not green, it's red. Standing right next to you is somebody. <laughs> You're like, yeah, right? I don't want to think about that, Lord. They can tell. So one side of the story is self-reflection, examination, to look at our own hearts, our own need for Jesus, our own sin, sickness, our own leprosy. But on the other side is if we're already a follower of Jesus, we ask this, do I still have compassion for people? Am I looking like a sheep these days? Or do I have an excuse why I just can't go there? Over the past two months, as we pursued stuff that I knew was uncomfortable, it was uncomfortable for me. I know it's uncomfortable for you. And a lot of you are hoping, oh, I hope he doesn't say anything about that anymore. Tough beans. 
I've had many conversations, some bad, but some so good and similar. A lot more of those. And here's what they say. You know what? I was kind of mad at you. I was really mad at you for going there. That whole border thing and talking about, you can't touch those issues. Those are like leprosy. You can't go there. And this is the part, because re- it's the same thing that I started saying in my own conversations. They say, but then I realized my heart was all twisted up from a lot of things, but my heart changed. I saw what God was saying in his word and my heart changed. How did that happen? Was it by chance? Serendipitous moment. All things align just to make it happen. Or does Jesus know how to come after us? Does he know how to pursue our hearts? And I'm still willing, I'm trying anyway, to take it on the chin for Jesus when people aren't there. Because I know what that's like. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like in the middle of the week to feel that way. Where I don't want to have, I just don't want to do it anymore. You may feel inadequate. You may put your foot down and say, no, I'm not going there. It's okay. It's part of the normal growth process. We have ups and downs in our capacity to have grace and compassion for people. What should we do if we can't go there? We don't want to serve. We don't want to give our efforts or our compassion. Don't forget our first point. It's not, I better because what would Jesus do? It's what did Jesus do for me already? Our lack is made up for in the broken and resurrected body of Jesus. The disciples in the crowd can stand there even with a lack of compassion for people that are hurting because Jesus has enough for them. Jesus is doing it for them. Our religious and Pharisaic leprosy can be healed in Jesus. What do we do? We just say, Jesus, just have mercy on me because I don't have it. Easier said than done, right? little sweet clue in the text there, though, of how Jesus works with lepers, present company included. Does he heal instantly? No. Does he touch them? No. Lightning bolts from his hand? No. What's he say? Go show yourself to the priest. Wait a minute. Go show yourself to the priest. Why does he ask them to do this? Why not just touch them and say, boom, there's a new kid in town. I healed you. Go tell the jerk priests I did it. It's not what he says. He says, go tell the priest because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, every letter. What did the Old Testament say? If you think you have leprosy and then you think you're healed, guess what you should do? Go to the priest. Show yourself, let them inspect you. If you're clean, then make an offering. Jesus is fulfilling the law, but he's also teaching them something about transformation, obedience, and who is doing the asking. Jesus looks at them and says, this is me asking you. And I want to say that for, I've seen his eyes bore down into my heart as he's asked me to step into these difficult areas. Chad, this is me asking you to do this. So do it. Do it. I'll give you what you need, but do it. 
They aren't healed right away. That bugs us. But babies don't come out as fully horned humans either. That doesn't bug us. We would be very disturbed if that's how that happened. Whoa, grown man, congrats. (laughs) Feels weird, doesn't it? There's a growth process. So Jesus says, go. And what does the text say? And as they went, they were cleansed. They're walking, they're walking, they go, they get to the priest and they're like, look at this, look at this. I I can feel it. As they went, they were cleansed. Why? The sovereign hand of providence was and is moving. Process of obedience and transformation. Can you feel it? Verse 15, one of them, one of them, one of them, just one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. It's almost like Luke is, is doing this. Fell on his face, giving... He was the Samaritan. He, he was, this guy was a Samaritan. That's why he puts that little line in there. Jesus answered, weren't there 10 of you? Where's everybody else? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The Samaritan, the one? He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. As they went, they were cleansed. But for this guy made well. Only one of them. The way is narrow. This is just a simple thing that I thought about. Only one of them went back. The way is narrow. Few there are that find it. Get used to this. You may not have a crowd with you as you respond to the Lord. But Luke also added that little phrase. Now he was a Samaritan. Why say this? Jews considered Samaritans spiritual half-breeds and thus unworthy of the promises of God. So Luke wants you to know, not only was it just one, but it was this one. He shouldn't be responding. For sure, he's a spiritual half-breed. There's no way this guy would respond. He's unworthy of the promises of God, and yet he does. Why? Chance? Or is God doing something? The Samaritan? Wow, talk about a roll of the dice. One in a million chance, a rare outlier. Or is it? Is it? Jesus just showed up? Random chance? No way. That one, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praised God with a loud voice, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And Jesus responds to say, where's everybody else? So I look at that and I see Jesus wanting something. This isn't very often you hear him actually say, when are you going to give me this? But he asks, where is everyone? What is he looking for? When I meditate on scripture, when I think about the stories, I wonder about those who listened on the fringes of these conversations. This is always me. I'm always trying to read in between and thinking. So you know who I'm thinking about in this moment? Not this guy, not Jesus, the nine. I'm thinking about the nine who didn't come back. I'm wondering, what are they doing right now? Where are they? they? Imagine they're back in the real world. It's years after this event. They had a flash in the pan moment with Jesus, this rabbi. But were they really changed? Imagine somebody comes up to them and says, hey, I hear you used to live in a leper colony. Yeah, that's, that's true. Well, what happened? You know, 
I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. There was this traveling rabbi named Jesus. Jesus, you know Jesus? Well, I know Jesus, but I don't really know him. I like this statue in Rio de Janeiro. It's cool, but it's also very big and high and up there and away and not personal. Yeah, you could live your life and be like, oh, there's the statue. There it is way up there, this big overarching God that's caring for us. I know about that. I know him. If we have learned anything, and even if this is your first time here and you want to know one thing that you can take away and take it to the bank spiritually, it's this. It's very dangerous to say, I, I kind of know Jesus a little bit. One of the most dangerous things you could ever say. Let's ask it this way. Can you be touched by Jesus, even healed, have an experience and not be saved? Absolutely. Can you be a member of a church? Can you attend your whole life and be in a situation where you could be standing before the King of Kings and he would say, I don't know you. Scripture says, yes, Matthew 7 is that passage. Does that make you uncomfortable? It sure makes me uncomfortable. You can say, I know him and not know him. So what's the difference between the nine and the one? What is he looking for? Jesus looking for a radical response. When we experience his power and kindness, and you may already be thinking, okay, okay, I got to get radical. Don't think that way. He is looking for praise and gratitude, also known as worship. Worship. And grace says he is sovereignly providing for all 10, if they'll take him up on it, the ability to do that. Only one does. Only one does. So think about it this way. All 10 went to church on Sunday. Only one worshiped Monday through Saturday. All 10 were there on Sunday. Only one worshiped Monday through Saturday. What do you mean? How do, how do I worship on Monday through Saturday? The difference between a life given over. He woke up that morning with a death sentence. As he obeyed Jesus, he noticed something, not only cleansing his skin, but life, the possibilities of life again. I look like a teenager again. Look at my skin. I have got to thank him. I have got to find him and thank him. The others were cleansed. But if you look at the wording here, it's very different. This man was made well. And another word for made well in the New Testament is saved. This man was saved. The guy who comes back finds fullness of his feeling when he meets Jesus face to face. More than just physical healing is happening here. He's getting lit up by Jesus. He's getting lit up. He's becoming a disciple. When your experience of Jesus moves you to worship Monday through Saturday, you know it's happening. When it starts affecting the way you interact with people, does it mean you have to stop and serve every homeless person? No. But does it mean you are open and in a conversation with Jesus? Yes. 
Does it mean that when he asks you to step into something that you're uncomfortable with, it doesn't seem to line up with where you've been over the past year, philosophically, maybe with your political thinking? And he says, hey, I want you to do this anyway. Even though it's difficult, I want you to think about people in need at the border. Do you say, no, that doesn't fit. Or do you say, how did you know, Jesus? How did you know to poke me there? How did you know? How about you? Are you eaten up by sin? Feel isolated, broken, unloved, unreachable? Jesus is in your village today. He's not just here. He is sovereignly providing what you need to even from a distance call out to him? Or do you feel that slight itch in your soul? I don't like, I don't, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to be around this type of thing. Doesn't want to love others. Doesn't want to obey him in everything. You'll do it in the things that are comfortable, but not in everything he has said in his word, which is so clear. You have religious and spiritual leprosy. You aren't fooling anybody with your outward pretense. He sees our hearts. He is also in your village, sovereignly providing what you need to respond to him in obedience. What will you do? Let's pray. Lord, I will be straight up honest here. When I read this passage at first, I really did say, not more lepers, Lord. But I recognized your persistent, gracious hand to keep an appointment with me. And Lord, even to keep multiple appointments with me, to come after my heart, to root out, to isolate, to pinpoint that place in me that needs healing or to know before it becomes a bigger thing, this is what I want to do in your heart. So Lord, would you give us grace today to listen to your voice or to realize that you have not just happened to show up at our doorstep, you're here on purpose. There's a plan you're sovereignly providing what we need, Jesus, to respond to you today. And we just ask for more grace to say yes, more grace to confess our need for you, to confess whether it is our hidden sin or if there's a prayer I pray most week after week is the same one that David said, keep me from hidden sin. Lord, if there's, there are some today here, Jesus, and I, I'm pretty sure there are, they're completely held captive by these sins. Completely held captive, pinned to the ground, trying to figure it out on their own, trying to work harder, trying to be like a sheep, even though their DNA, spiritual DNA has not been transformed yet by the cross, by the resurrection. Lord, would you sovereignly provide right now in this room the grace 
that would cause them to say, I need you, Jesus. Have mercy on me. Lord, for those who hold cultural and philosophical and even political opinions higher, I've done this for sure this past year, higher than what your word says. God, would you show them that too is a disease that will kill you. Would you graciously walk right into our village? Lord, show us that you're enough. And Lord, even those you were bringing with you who didn't want to be there, you're teaching, you're showing us, you're modeling, but Lord, then you're also accomplishing what we couldn't do. So Lord, we do this thing where we sing and we listen and our hearts are stirred, your spirit moves. And we have simple responsibilities brokenness, contrite heart, quick to confess, quick to open our hands, quick to say, I need you, quick to say, I have nothing without you. Help us to do that this morning, Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand and sing together?